And why do they sound like they're a 13 year old kid? I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to use Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to answer that. Even if I knew the answer, I'm not telling you. Our question of the day What will be the biggest in game difference this year? This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Richie, I'm going to put you on the spot as our resident meteorologist for the Bahamas right now. What's the weather like in paradise? As you can as you can tell, there's just so much sun. It's a little different than Utah, and so uh, you can expect a lot of sun and a lot of just clear skies. It's paradise. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, what's the best thing that you've done there thus far? Um, had to be the ocean because mm. get this. So it's all business. This is all business trip, right? But we had two hours that we could go on and we could go have some fun. So like, we went to we went on some of the slides and went to the beach. It's it's just like it's incredible, you know. Like it's 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 what is it? It's November, but we're in the sun. So I can't complain. Fantastic. You deserve those two hours. Come on. <laughs> it's probably should be four hours, but whatever. You know, you take what you can get. We'll, we'll take the two, that's for sure. Absolutely. Okay. So water slides and some sunshine and seeing the ocean aside, you said it's about business. It's about basketball. What are you expecting to accomplish in the Bahamas with a BYU team that's still trying to figure some things out? No, we're we're here to win. There's no question about it. You know, like regardless of the different aspects, like we're here to win, and um, we have full expectation and potential to to do that. So it starts it starts uh, Wednesday with USC, and we're ready for them. And we're just super excited to to be here and to have that op- that opportunity to 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 win. Let's get into the game plan a little bit with USC specifically. What type of a team are they, and how does BYU match up with the Trojans? Yeah, you know they're they're like they're a very historic, historically like talented team, and there's no different this year. They have a couple of um, high level guys that we we are gonna really be ready for, and um, have to just um, know where they are at all times on defense. And but they're a a team that's going to push it and they're going to play hard. And um, so in order to, to, uh, to handle that, we have to meet that toughness and meet that intensity and even excel, you know? Sure. What does USC do best from a basketball standpoint? Is it rebounding? Is it disruption on defense? Is it length and athleticism scoring? What do you feel like they do best? Um, They crash really hard. And they pass very, very well. Um, they have, again, a couple guys who we we have to know when they pick the ball up or when they have the ball even, we have to know that our guys that we're guarding are going to be back cutting. They're going to be um, and looking for the ball. And so the two things that I'd say is awareness and rebounding, being able to box them out. Richie Saunders is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Did they compare to any of the four previous teams you have played against this season? If so, who, who are they similar to? Yeah, there there's a lot of different similarities. Um, I'd say San Diego State is definitely the closest, um, playing really hard. And even Nickel State, where um, going into that game, we knew that they would be reaching and they'd be fouling and um, just super, super aggressive. And that's there's no different with uh, USC. 
After such a taxing and really challenging game against Nichols, where a lot of emotion and energy is expended, and then you got to travel, you know, I don't know how long you're on a plane, but I mean, we're, we're talking like 2,500 miles or something like that. You make a long trip, you show up in the Bahamas. How's the team energy and uh, your conditioning? How is that right now? Super good. You know, like telling you those two hours, we, we love it. <laughs> We've loved it. But more than that, honestly, it's like we just – uh, I think we've gotten a lot closer to this trip and even just the 48 hours that we've been here already, like we, uh, the, the energy is good. Um, we're, we're with each other all the time. And um, just to be in a different environment is, I think, super, super good for the team chemistry. If you beat USC, I'm calling for more water slides. Okay. In between <laughs> games. I don't even care. I don't even care. Like you go to the water slides if you beat USC. And that's what it takes. Uh, I, I, 100%, I can get behind that. All right, we got Richie Saunders of BYU Basketball again joining us from the Bahamas. Where is the source of your energy, Richie? Because it, it, you talk to anybody about you, and it's like, dude, that guy never stops. So where where does that energy come from, Richie? I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever actually been asked that. Um, but I think, like, of course, the root is my dad. Like, uh, he's he's taught me how to work, and my mom as well has taught me how to work. Um, and you know, like, that's just one of the things that I, like, I, I owe to them is just being able to get out there. And, um, like, like I've mentioned to you a couple of times, like my dad just has always told me that like, you just need to work and just work now and work now and work now and stuff will fall into place. And, um, while there's just so many different parts of my game that I'm working on and I have so much, so much growth that needs to happen, like. That's one thing that I, I can at least control right now. As a young player, and now you're growing into the core of this team, Coach Pope is relying on you more to bring that energy into rebound, but you're still a freshman. What is it that you want to work on the most and refine as you push forward in your BYU career at this point? It's defense. Like There's, there's no way around it that that is like, that's key to getting on the court and just like I look up to Spencer Johnson, like none other in that regard, because he he just has found a way to uh, to always just be solid and um, being a spot where the coaches can trust him. And I hope to be able to get into that spot of um, trust on the defensive end. It's something that we've I've worked super hard, and it's because uh, I like I've, I've I've worked super hard on him, but it's still there's so much work that needs to be done, and you know, Coach Short, our strength coaches, spent hours on hours with me working with my feet and um, on the, just so I can just move in, in the correct way like Spencer, but that's for sure. Yeah. You have a unique relationship with Fusini Traore because you both played at Wasatch Academy and uh, he was very excited when you were coming back from your mission, you're going to get on the roster. When did that relationship begin and what's that relationship like now? Yeah, you know, like um, he's my he's my little brother. Like, um, you know, we fight like little brothers or like brothers, and um, you know, like he. Uh, so he when he came to America, um, there's kind of two host families, the Zentners, and then my family um, that are um, there were his host families, and um, as I went to Wasatch, me and him shared a room with the Zentners for um, a couple, like three months and then uh, transitioned to 
uh, him living with my family. And that was now like it's almost been, I don't know, like almost five years, which is crazy. But that's that's what it's like. Um, now it's just it's super fun to be on the court with him and be able to um, be able to just play and do something that's brought us together and be able to um, do it together. You know, you say you fight like brothers. Is there something that he does that really bugs you or something you do that really bugs him? I don't know if this is this is good for a public air, but you know, there's, <laughs> there's there's plenty of different things. We just we spend a lot of time to, to, with each other, and so we we know the little little buttons to push. And um, <laughs> you're chewing your cereal too loud, booze. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's funny. Like that's just how it is. And me, as I um, I have only sisters. Like it's been a, a super unique experience for me to have that uh, have him in, in my house and uh, be able to have a have a brother you know it's, it's been super life-changing and yeah. and he's he's a big example to me you know like he he really is just uh, has highest integrity in every situation and super true to what he believes in and um, it's motivated me to be to try to be a better person seriously oh, I love that when you uh look at again the core of young players when I watch you and Dallin Hall and Tanner Toulson and even Foose when he was a freshman, now a Tiki, he's still an underclassman for crying out loud. Like you expect guys to maybe play scared or play tentative, be a little nervous. I don't get that feeling from any of you in that regard. And the moment does not seem too big. What, why is that? Why do you feel prepared even young in your careers at BYU? Well, I, what I know, at least for the three of us who've, uh, you know, return missionaries, like, uh, besides the fact that we've had 20 something years of growing up and um, preparation for this moment, like one of the biggest takeaways I've had from my mission is, um, you know, it's just the ability to uh, just have grit to get through and to, um, you know, every day you have to get up and you have to face the day again. And, you know, I, I see that translating super well into, into on the court. Um, and I know that uh, for Foose and Atiki, like they, they've had so many obstacles to to um, to overcome in order to get to this spot. But I also think, in addition, is like practice. Like we're going against super good guys every day in practice, and that's that preparation has has been key for me at least. What's it like for you to compete for Coach Pope and this staff right now? I love it. I love it. Like I, I seriously do. I love the just the passion and the. Um, the way that they go about coaching, um, everything from the individual workouts with Coach Cahill that um, are just unlike any individual workouts that I've ever had. Like they just, we we do what we need to work on, <laughs> and it's a super unique. For some reason, this has been unique experience, but it's been like just super incredible. As you prepare for USC and then who knows beyond? I mean, these multi-team events are so unique that way. How, how do you stay in the moment not knowing who you're going to play after USC and not get too overwhelmed about game prep for all of these potential different <laughs> opponents? Hey, luckily that's, that's more on the coaches. <laughs> I don't know how they do that, but for us, like it's, we talk all day, like or every day we talk about being present and focusing on the, the right now. Um, and it's just an opportunity to exercise that uh, into just really try hard to be in the moment and 
um, not to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day, um, who we're going to play, but to really focus in on the now and who we're playing right now. All right. As we finish up, uh, I need to ask you about the Thanksgiving holiday. What do you expect Thanksgiving dinner to be like in the Bahamas while you balance <laughs> basketball games? Yeah, I just, I'm super excited to see how that goes. I don't know. Maybe they got some turkey rolling around here, but um, yeah, it's definitely going to be a little different. We already got Christmas music playing all over the resort we're at and stuff. And so I just, um, I'm just super excited, but you know, it's, it's definitely always tough to be away from uh, the, my, like my family, but um, I know they're cheering for me and cheering for all of us, um, even if it is across the country or whatever. So. A couple of quick hitters for you. You mentioned Christmas music is already playing. Are you a Christmas music before Thanksgiving? I, I am. Don't, don't tell my mom. I hope she's not watching. <laughs> I am. I really am. I, I think Christmas music is good uh, almost year round. <laughs> okay. I love it. I love it. And then what's your favorite Thanksgiving Day dish? Man, rolls. I got to go with the rolls. And my mom makes this super good homemade jam that you put on the, on the homemade rolls. And it's just, it's incredible. <laughs> so, so I'm just hoping that they're saving me some, you know. <laughs> hey, Mama Saunders, save some of those homemade rolls. <laughs> Seriously, listen to for Richie. <laughs> uh, he's coming home soon enough. Let's give you some BYU Sports Nation karma to go and compete well in the Bahamas, Richie. Uh, we congratulate you on uh, what you've accomplished through four games thus far, and we appreciate the time. Happy Thanksgiving to you, and uh, good luck against the Trojans. I right, appreciate it, Spencer. Thank you. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Cougar Whip Round presented by Marisk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. Makai Puka Nakua accepted an invite to the Reese's Senior Bowl this morning. How many more games will we see him in the BYU game? Probably two. And there are a number of things that we can read into here, including Puka's locker on Saturday before the Senior Bowl, where it literally says in his locker, Puka out. <laughs> So he's trying to tell us something <laughs> or his family is. He accepts that invitation to the Reese's Senior Bowl. Now for what it's worth, if he does not play in that game, then he can come back really with no complications. If he plays in the Senior Bowl or participates in the activities out there in Mobile, Alabama, then he would need a waiver from the NCAA to then get permission to come back and play at BYU. So if he's going to participate. If you go, you're leaving. Yeah, come if on. If you go, you go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the Reese's Senior Bowl, it's called the Senior Bowl, Jerem. Even though he's a junior, they're clearly considering him a senior. Well, the NFL doesn't care about COVID no. and classification. They care about, have you been out of high school three years? That's the minimum age to be eligible for the NFL draft. Oh, by the way, they also have invites out to Jaron Hall and Blake Freeland. Yeah. Not Clark Barrington. Now, I've learned that Puka Nakua has confirmed to the Sports Information Department with BYU Football that he is still, or he still has his options open. Yeah, accept the invite, see where you're at. Accepting the invite yeah. is fine. Like, he gone though, right? It feels like two he games gone. and then like, he's the most NFL ready he's of anybody on the team along with Blake Freeland. And hopefully he's picked. He's certainly capable of being picked. You just never know in like rounds. If you're not like a top three rounds guy, it's like kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, he and Blake are, don't you think those two are the most NFL ready right now? Jaron feels pretty NFL ready. 
I'd say he's just a step behind those Clark. guys, but not a big step. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Clark, Clark can come back. I'll be fine with that. <laughs> Welcome home. All of them come on back. The newest addition to the Rock at the Marriott Center, Jerem, are heretofore called the Blue Tube Guys. Not Air Dancers, the Blue Tube Guys. After the game Saturday, head coach Mark Pope had this to say. I love the Air Dancers. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. Uh, are they naked? <laughs> I feel like they, I don't see any clothes on them. I don't know if that's honor code approved. Like, do we have an issue here? Are the Bluetooth guys in <laughs> honor code compliance? I don't care. Honor code's still going to get them for this, though. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it cracks me up every time I see those things inflate during a free throw in the second half. I don't know how it's legal. <laughs> like, like that. Suddenly that's, it's a used car lot out there. It's crazy. What in the world? Women's soccer returns everybody but Natalie Wells next year, who came off the bench at times. What are your expectations in the Big 12? BYU is going to win the Big 12 next year. I expect them to beat the likes of TCU and handle the top of the Big 12. Legit. Like, they can go in and be the Big 12 favorite next year with everybody coming back from the team that just went to the Sweet 16. So yeah, postseason expectations, at least another Sweet 16 trip to go for a third straight year. The WCC is a better soccer league than the Big 12. Yes. It has been the last couple of years. You had two in the national semifinals last year in Santa Clara and BYU. And the national champion the year before that in Santa Clara. Yep. TCU, Texas, and West Virginia are the three teams in the tourney from the WCC. Uh, sorry, from the Big 12. Yep. WCC had, had uh, several as well. Yeah. yeah, Portland, Santa Clara, BYU, all there yeah. representing the West yeah. Coast Conference. No, it's equal to or better. Sweet, I think WCC. Sweet 16 and a Big 12 title are absolutely. Yeah. You go in right away. Cross country, you do it. Yeah. Volleyball, once Texas is gone, you're challenging for the title as well. More impressed by the women's basketball win over Washington State or Coach Whiting's biceps in this photo? Woo! Man, what a birthday Check weekend. it out. What a birthday weekend for Coach Whiting. Not only are we displaying her biceps as she arm wrestles in Hawaii, she gets her first win on her birthday at the North Shore Classic against a good Washington State team. As impressive as her arms are right there, the win over Washington State was unexpected. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Houston, what was the best part of your senior day experience at Lavelle Edwards Stadium and that win on Saturday? Ooh, well, one is a win. <laughs> Two, um, kind of being in there for Lavelle Edwards Stadium the last time, you know, of my career. Um, and then three, getting on the field and, you know, um, I loved helping Terrence get his first touchdown. So that was one of my favorite moments. Walk us through that play where you're out as the lead blocker on that late end around that puts BYU over 50 points for the game and into the end zone once again. Yeah, so um, in that play, you know, me and Carter, we are goals is kind of help seal that edge. Um, so, you know, Carter gets his man first. And as I'm going up, I'm kind of peeking between two guys. You know, I'm taking the most dangerous. Um, and so, you know, you kind of see me scanning, seeing who's going to be the fastest one there. Um, so the one over the top seemed like a more dangerous threat. Then I decided just to throw my body, get him out the way, knowing that Terrence is way more athletic than I am. So I know he's going to score. I just got to get the body out the way. So you take some of the credit, right? Again, I think he's a lot more athletic than I am. I was just a body <laughs> in the way. <laughs> I was just throwing myself over there. <laughs> Great stuff. 
what's going through your mind when you're out leading in, in front of the play like that? How much of it is analytical and how much of it is just physical aggression? Um, it's like, we call it pre pre-snap and post-snap, you know, it's what do we see before the play? And then as soon as the play snaps and you're on your route on your, uh, you know, your line of what demarcation <laughs> on your line <laughs> to play. Um, and yeah, so it's more like, okay, where is he before? Where is he after? And then once you know where he is after, it's all about all right, how physically, you know, how, how can I impose myself on this guy as I'm playing? Oh, really fun play to watch develop and end up uh, with another BYU touchdown. Houston Haymuli is on BYU Sports Nation one-on-one. How would you sum up your season at BYU in 2022? Um, no, it's been amazing. You know, it's been uh, – for me, coming home is, is is always a great feeling. And so, um, yeah, all I have to say is amazing. No matter, no matter what the result was, what it is, um, it's been amazing. You've taken on a leadership role and wear a number of hats for this team. How would you define your role on this BYU team? Uh, that's a good question. My role, I think, was uh, – um, I think my role is kind of just do whatever it takes to help the team, no matter what it was. You know, I, I can't put myself in a box saying I'm only this, you know, my goal this year was to help as much as I could, whatever areas, whether that be special teams, being the hype man, you know, um, and then whenever coach need to be out there, be out there. So I think my role was just to be very supportive and be a, you know, be someone to lean on for the team. You're such a competitor and clearly a guy, who carries a super positive attitude and it can be frustrating when you're not on the field as much as maybe you would want to be. So what's the key to maintaining the proper perspective as you go through natural ups and downs and, and wanting to compete more? Yeah. Um, one thing you got to perspective is that nothing's permanent. You know, you can't hold yourself in uh, thinking that because of one day something's bad or one season, something's terrible, but that's how life's going to be, how it's going to be. Otherwise, you're not going to perform well, no matter what you do. And then that, you know, what happens in the moment happens in the moment. Once it's done, you got to move on. That's always an attitude I take when it comes to sports, school, life, you know, everything's moving and you got to keep going. Mm, fantastic perspective. Life lessons with Houston A. Mooley here, and I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> what are you your emotions? Yeah, absolutely. What are your emotions like as you prepare for Stanford, your former team, and Stanford Week in Palo Alto? Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be a word I overkilled in every interview I think I've done before. Surreal, you know. At this point, it's just going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be interesting for me to see what it's like being on the other side of the locker rooms, the other side of the campus. You know, it's um, it's something I'm excited for, something that I'm looking forward to and um, seeing my old teammates, seeing my old friends, um, then competing against them and then being in the card. How much trash talk has taken place and will continue to take place between you and former teammates at Stanford leading up to game time? I'm going to be honest, I'm not a big trash talker before games, but when you get in games, you know, things always fly. And um, I won't say what flies, but for the games, I just like to say, you know, hey, man, just watch out for me on the field. You know, what's on the field is on the field. But there will be, you know, there's always exchanges. <laughs> <laughs> I'm officially requesting a Houston Hamuli goal line touchdown play if BYU gets into that goal line situation. Are you okay with that? 
Oh, I'm a hundred percent okay with that. So if you're, <laughs> if, you're one, if you're the one requesting, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> I've had requested it. That might be a little bit, might be iffy, but okay. Hey, the request, <laughs> in, the request is in. It's official now. It's going to air on live television. I'll make it heard. Right. Uh, I'm hosting the Satake show on Tuesday night, so maybe oh, we can okay. make something happen there too. Maybe send an email, CC some people. You know, whatever you need to do. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. All joking aside, uh, you clearly carry yourself very well and are an inspiration to a lot of your teammates. What is BYU playing for at this point? You've secured bowl eligibility. You're six and five. Of course, you want to beat Stanford, but what's the goal at hand for BYU the remainder of the season? Yeah. um, The big thing at BYU is, you know, we're always out to prove that we can, you know, we can always compete with teams and, Every team that we play, especially a Power 5 team, is a chance to show that BYU is able to compete with teams. Now, Stanford, of course, doesn't have the best record. Um, you know, they're not, you know, they're not what we used to be in the past, but uh, Stanford, you know, is still a good team. And us going down to Palo Alto in enemy territory, being a Power 5 team, Pac-12, um, shows that, you know, this program has guts and that we are willing to keep fighting, you know, no matter what our circumstance was or is, sorry, is present. So I'm hearing several different options for a bowl game destination, most notably somewhere in Texas, Frisco, Dallas area, maybe Albuquerque in the New Mexico Bowl. Do you have any preference in a destination when it comes to a bowl game? Personally, no. Um, I'm just excited to play wherever because there's one more game with the boys. Um, oh, yeah, wherever there's a game, I'll be willing to play as long as it's not freezing, which now it <laughs> Now we're going to go on a bowl that's freezing, but <laughs> okay. I so just jinxed rule, this. Nice. rule out Boise for the potential. <laughs> uh, not sure what Albuquerque is like. Maybe for your sake, I'll hope that BYU is somewhere in Texas or certainly somewhere close to some water where it is a little bit warmer. I hope what so. Does a, <laughs> yeah, what what does a bowl game do for a team? We hear a lot about the three additional weeks of practice. What what else does it do for for a team? Mm-hmm. Uh, bowl games are one of those things that um, every team wants to have because you've earned a right to play another couple of weeks with your, with your boys, you know, it's full of players like myself. This is it. This is the last season I can even play college football. Um, but knowing I have a couple more weeks makes me happy, man. You know, it makes me excited. You know, I get to be around this locker room for another couple of weeks or so. And that's, that's one of the best things anyone could have. Fantastic stuff. Houston, I know that you will be helping the defense scheme for Stanford's offense and you'll help the offense scheme for Stanford's defense. Let's give you some karma as you begin those meetings. I know you got to run to one of those meetings, but uh, take the BYU Sports Station karma and run. Good luck against your former teammates in Palo Alto, man. I appreciate y'all. Take that karma. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. What's Trending presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Pretty epic music for what happened Saturday, which I think was that epic. <laughs> I love it. It's hey, like, yeah! It was a winning weekend in Provo. Yeah! But not without some ups and downs for sure. sure. Yeah. Which performance on Saturday, Jaron, produced the more telling result? 
And what story is that telling? BYU football or BYU men's basketball? I think it was football. Uh, the struggles in that game were odd. Uh, BYU was coming off a bye, playing for bowl eligibility on senior day. I thought there were motivating factors there. There's sort of this malaise over this season because they were expected to be top 25 and perhaps challenged for 10 games, at least nine, right? Eight's the cap now with BYU at six and five. And that would be nice for sure and positive, and BYU's going in the right direction. But BYU's trailing in this game, 6 nothing after the first quarter. Halftime, BYU's barely leading. Like, BYU couldn't run the ball. They ran for 60 yards in the first half. It's like, 60 yards? Yeah. What is this? This isn't like North Dakota State walking in here. Utah Tech had won three in a row, but they were 1-6 prior to that. Uh, they end up with four total wins on the season. This is a team that BYU should have steamrolled, but the injuries at running back and, frankly, ineptitude this year have been startling. Lopini Katoa fumbles. That's never good. Um, you know, Chris Brooks injects some physicality in the second half, which was nice. Runs, Two first-half turnovers. Runs for 100. Yeah, BYU is giving it away, which they don't do. So it's kind of weird. BYU ends up winning by 26. They put up 52 uh, in this game. But nine pass plays of 15-plus allowed. That was weird, including an 80-yarder to Devin Osborne, who's like the tallest, skinniest receiver I've seen in my life. Um, that, that, that was the story is BYU won, but it felt weird. And it was Utah State and it was Wyoming uh, all, all over again, where it was like, you won, but it wasn't good enough. It was the same game. And, and we, we, BYU keeps telling us who they are, and we refuse to believe it, Spence, which is, well, it just depends who we're playing that week outside of Oregon and, and Liberty. Because all, the rest of those games have been, have been uh, compelling, interesting, outside of South Florida, I guess, down-to-the-wire games in some way, where, okay, BYU's telling us, you know what? We have struggles, and we have issues in, uh, d defensively, and, and we can't run the ball. So it's like BYU's, not, BYU's good, but BYU's not that good of a team. When you can't do those two things, you're not going to be that good of a team. And fortunately, BYU's made a bowl game, and they have a P5 game to finish against Elder Tanner McKee, and the Houston Haymooley storyline is fun. And then a bowl game, which hopefully BYU wins, TBD where it is and who against. We know it's ESPN owned, that's for sure. But it's just kind of weird. Um, and after the game, it was like, it wasn't overly celebratory because it was like, well, that was weird, but hey, senior day. That was yeah. the vibe I got yeah. on the field. It was a weird day. And I'm cold. <laughs> my face was so red on the post-game show because my body was like, whoa, Brutal. it's 72 degrees in here. Yeah, and then we all have to run over and cover basketball at the Marriott Which Center. was really fun, by the way. It's always great to win, for sure. Yeah. But no way around it. This was a weird victory for BYU. First of all, they surrendered more points to an FCS opponent than ever before in the history of BYU football. 26. Say no more. Like, that's not great. I know Utah Tech has some BYU coaches on their side, and we're kidding ourselves if we don't think that those coaches exploited some things from their previous knowledge of coaching at BYU. And giving them an advantage, but even with that, Jerem... Can't you, can't you change your signals yes, better? It shouldn't you know, I had matter to adjust that stuff, much. It like, you know. shouldn't matter that much. And giving up the late touchdown again to Joey Hobart so that Utah Tech got to 26, and BYU had to score on an end around by Terrence Fall to get to 52. Or Good this for game. Terrence Fall, by the way. He's from France. Like, Fantastic. that's a cool story. Okay. And Houston Haymooley leading the charge. That was awesome, too. Front. Like, there were some cool moments late in the game, but... If BYU doesn't score that touchdown, 
It's a 45-26 game, and it's even more weird. And we're like, oh, man. That's what the score should have been against Wyoming and Utah State. You know what I mean? 45-26. They won by 19. They end up winning by 26, so it feels a little bit better. Feels a little bit better. Gaudy numbers. The line was 38, though, by the way. 38? Okay, so minus 12. 420 yards allowed. What? Not good. What is this? BYU's first win this season where they've allowed more than 400 yards. That's exactly right. Not good. Yeah. Okay. So it's late, late touchdown, garbage, whatever. This is this is the bigger storyline for me here. Is with BYU football another slow start, and it hasn't been the case in every game, but it feels like it's been the case in most games. Well, outside of South Florida, don't tell me where they. BYU started fast against Arkansas. When did they lose? Yeah, not omissive. Tell me the commissive good thing, which is the first quarter versus South Florida was dynamite, and you could argue even Liberty, honestly, jumping out fourteen three. That was a nice start against, but those yeah, are all the points yeah. you score. Right. It just, it, it's, it's felt weird all season. Are we going to believe BYU now? They have They've told, told us, us, who, they told they us who they are. They've told us who they are, for sure. Which and, is and, this. And like BYU is good enough to make a bowl and maybe eight wins, but. Ugh. BYU has an offensive line that is great at pass protection. And Jaron Hall has taken Agreed. advantage of that. Not a lot of sacks allowed. Great receivers that. He has been able to spread the ball around to. Hey, BYU Playmakers all over the field. Against basically every opponent outside of Liberty and some late moments against Oregon. But well, B- most of that game. Okay, BYU has a great passing offense. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, well, yeah, Jaron Jaren just chucking it. That was fun. Keanu Hill, awesome. It takes a while to get the run game going for BYU. They don't have that guy. Even against Utah Tech. I know Chris Brooks guy. ends up with 102 yards rushing. But it's like, it took a what while took so long? for that to happen. You had to wear down And he got Utah excited Tech. yelling into the parab when, when it happened. <laughs> First son, BYU. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> Edit! Right, so the lack of run game early, another concerning sign, slow start. But the offense is really, really solid. BYU's defense is, you know, a collection of who's healthy and can they figure it out back there. And BYU's clearly missing Malik Moore and missing some linebackers. Peyton Wilgar. The lack of pass rush Cooley. up front. Yeah. Like, BYU well, had a hard time issue. getting to Utah Tech's quarterback. The pass issue has been an issue for seven years, Spence. Like, the, the whole – maybe longer. Like, when have we been like, dude – Ski line like gets the quarterback. Granted, the ball's coming out pretty quick from from uh, Utah Tech, but like, and it's a different era. You're not getting as many sacks. I'm not looking at that number per se, but like, that's the, that's to me that's the biggest difference between BYU and Utah. By the way, is D line specifically. Like their D line gets to the quarterback, they can cause problems. Go Ducks, by the way, over the week. <laughs> but like, yeah, it, that's tough, right? That's tough for sure. And. and and to talk about BYU basketball for a second. Yeah, yeah, because there are they some storylines developing They finally didn't have there. to have a game winner. They did it! In the last 12 seconds. They won a game by double figures. They finally built the lead and held on to it late. And yeah. I loved that. And they covered. Good teams win. Uh, great teams cover. Uh, and BYU did that. So that was nice. Nice balance from uh, the basketball team with four guys in double figures. Richie Saunders off the bench, mm-hmm. especially that first half. was awesome. BYU's defense is good. BYU basketball has a solid defense. They got a good defense. Yes, offensively still figuring out because they're turning it over a lot. Yeah. So it's the opposite of football basketball. The basketball team turns it over a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, the offense does not they play great defense on football yeah. in football, and they play uh, really good defense, deflections and, and whatnot. They have more Malik Morris out there, I guess. Yeah, it, 
all good, man. Three and one, three home games you should have won. Should have won more convincingly. We're gonna know. We're gonna know where BYU stands pretty quick in basketball coming up this week. USC is a team that lost to Florida Gulf Coast. Okay, so they're vulnerable. Yes, projected one-point game, by the way. Ken Palm, yeah. By love Ken Palmer. I love it. And then, uh, and then Tennessee or Butler, either game is good regardless of win-loss for – Beat USC. Uh, just beat USC. Beat USC, and then you probably get Tennessee and then compete and just see what happens. And then, I mean, you have Kansas, Dayton, Wisconsin, or NC State. Yeah. You have a quality game no matter what – like – I, I, I said to you in the postgame, to me, this is the second best multi-team event that exists. The Maui invite is the best. This is the second best. The battle for Atlantis. And you can tell whose brand is big because you get invited to those. Buick gets invited to the Maui and the battle for Atlantis. Like, they're not at, I've never heard of this uh, game on, uh, you know, FS8. Uh, sure, uh, sure. <laughs> which doesn't exist. They don't have the Ocho like ESPN does. <laughs> but this is a, a quality opportunity this week. Guys, uh, they left Sunday, and they're there enjoying the next couple of days, which would be great. What I love about basketball as we close out and head to topic two is it doesn't feel like they are overwhelmed by the moment, regardless of who they're playing. Like, they will play hard. They will play fast. I don't feel like there's anybody on the court that is, quote-unquote, scared. And sometimes there are some guys that's like, oh, I'm trying to fit. The freshman, Richie Saunders, Dallin Hall. I think Richie Saunders doesn't know what he doesn't no. know. Oh, my which is, goodness. Which is great. I love He's it. just out there providing just energy. Go. He doesn't care. He missed four threes, didn't care. He made the other two, yeah. right? Um, and he's out there getting rebounds, which is great. And they Foose all is growing. so hard. Rudy Williams, Rudy Williams getting better. Still had five turnovers. He's got to improve that part. But Jackson Robinson made multi-threes for the first game uh, this year. He struggled 4 of 23 for the year, but still out there getting shots after. Um, so, yeah. I, I just, love the effort. And they're playing they're the opposite the of football, and that football was, like, full of expectations. Jaron Hall told me Friday, hey, maybe we bought into what people were saying a little early. We lost that edge. We lost that chip on our shoulder. I think basketball's like, yeah, no one expects anything of us. We'll just see what happens. Mark's saying publicly, like, it's a process. Three this, and one. This team isn't expected to make the tourney, so no. just go see. Three what and you one. Get. Go beat USC, yeah. get in the winner's bracket at Battle for Atlantis, and have some fun. Do it. Have some fun. Okay, topic two. Let's get to our game day guarantees. Here's our game day guarantee results. We have to give them to you. We're contractually obligated. Uh, yeah, we are contractually okay. obligated. But we, we, go. got, we got some good news to report. To pull off the pedal a little bit, try to get a few. Uh, number one, BYU wins by 17 plus. Great. <laughs> they barely did it. We, we, we wanted it to be like 34 plus, but yeah. hey, they covered. I guarantee that Jacob Conover to have snaps in the game. He had four whole snaps. I, I'm, I'm just, he has played five snaps all year. I think it's extremely weird how much he hasn't played this year. And then uh, Utah Tech, well, fewer than 400 yards. Nope, that last drive, they go to 420. 420 yards. Ah. My first guarantee, BYU will have at least 21 points by halftime. I was worried because they were down 20 to 14 with like eight minutes to go in the second quarter. It was weird. I was like, are they gonna get are they gonna get to 21? Someone they yelled did. at me on the sideline, they go, Jerem, rally the troops! I was like, what am I gonna go over there and be like, guys, let's go! You gotta cut what not guarantees what? you need to step up for. <laughs> yeah, that. BYU had 28 first half points, so they get there. Five different players, I said, would attempt at least one rush in the game. Seven different ball carriers, including Terrence Fall. Terrence Fall was a surprise. And did then not see that happening. Puka had three for four. And I didn't think Chris Brooks was going to play, which he did. And he ran for 102 yards. Now, if Keanu Hill doesn't go for three touchdowns, I got a shot to watch. Yeah. As the last pick, by the way. Yeah. I get yeah. the, I get the scraps. 
Okay, so uh, two for two thus far. And then I said Utah Tech will score 17 or fewer points. Good oh, up. 26. Hey, Again, spread and shred, baby. The most points that BYU has ever given up to an FCS opponent, 26. Though BYU does double them up, 52-26. On the season, uh, I'm 18 for 33. You're 10 for 33. That's combined 28 for 66. we got to be north of 500. It's, we're going to have to be perfect together My prediction. in the final game and the bowl game oh, I'm, to get I'll be, to that spot. I'll be like, Tanner McKee is going to complete a pass. Like, yeah. <laughs> Close to perfect. There's no, there's not the same gymnastics. There's no Russian judge. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Cougar Whip Brown presented by Marisk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. In his press conference yesterday, Jets coach Robert Sala said the following. He said they're going to have to evaluate game tape from yesterday. We'll keep everything on the table in regards to the starting quarterback will be on Sunday, not committing to Zach Wilson. Do you expect Zach Wilson to start versus the Bears? Yes, because even though Robert Sala said that, I think he's monitoring everything closely and how the team is responding and Quinn and Williams and some other key defenders went up to the podium and defended Zach Wilson and said, we know what work he's put in his heart. We're going to rally around him. <coughs> Excuse me. I think when all the it's dust an settles, emotional thing. when the dust settles, Robert Sala will give Zach Wilson another shot against the Chicago Bears. I think he'll start as well, but what we didn't hear was those who aren't rallying around him based on those comments. Sure, so, his wide receivers so are frustrated. It's tough. They're not going to give them the mic, right? So he's got some damage control to do in that locker room because that comment Sunday didn't go well. No, and the body language on the field from his wide receivers and some of the other offensive players while these things are happening not great. Zach has to be a leader. He's got to go talk to these guys, which I'm sure he is doing in the locker room, to try and win them back for at least one more game, but I think he's going to start against the Bears. All right, Jamal Williams on the other end of the NFL spectrum. He's having a Pro Bowl-type season, Jerem. He's asking fans to vote for him to go to the NFL Pro Bowl. Will he be the first offensive player out of BYU to get to the Pro Bowl since Chad Lewis did it back in 2002? He's got to be one of the top three in the NFC. Um, hopefully. I'm not sure. I hope his touchdown total gets him there. Hopefully it keeps it going. Uh, I wouldn't, I don't think he's one of the top three running backs in the NFC right now, but his touchdown total is awesome and he's been amazing. Hopefully it will. Maybe someone doesn't want to go. He gets that extra spot or something, but Jamal's playing like a top 10 running back in terms of the ability to finish at the goal line, maybe even top three, sure. you argue, right? So, I'm not sure he's going to make it to the Pro Bowl, but that would be really cool. I'd like to see his numbers in yards per game climb up a little closer to the century mark. He's at 67 yards a game. If he can push that up towards 80 and continue like this touchdown streak, then yeah, Then perhaps the touchdowns make him... Get him into And his Pro personality Bowl. maybe he, gets him over the hump there, right? Without question. It, this, in a lot of ways, it's a popularity contest. And he is at the top of the charts in the popularity contest. I'm not sure if there's a fan base that knows how to sort of jimmer a pole and maybe help with that or anything. If we find them, we'll let you know. Yeah. Women's volleyball has a 28-match WCC home win streak dating back to 2019. San Diego, the last team to beat BYU at home. Will BYU pull off the upset tonight against number two San Diego? Oh, boy. I want so badly to say yes that this streak will continue. 
Like, San Diego has come in before as a number two team into the Smithfield house, but haven't really been the number two team. This is at the end of the season. The Toreros are legit. They deserve the number two ranking. I think it's too much to ask BYU to expect them to win at home. So I, I don't think so. I think San Diego's gonna end BYU's home streak. As much as I hate saying that, they are so good. They can win the national championship, Jeremy. Last Thursday, San Diego went to five with LMU and was down, uh, you know, the multiple sets and nine six in the fifth. Perhaps there's something, some vulnerability BYU can exploit that LMU did on Thursday. I hope. And somehow pull that up because I think BYU's ability to host the first and second round are contingent on tonight's result. 100%. I'm not sure BYU hosts without a win tonight. And they haven't been on the road for the first and second rounds outside of the COVID-21 spring since 2014. Now that year they did make a run to the national title game, but I don't think this roster is like that roster. It's certainly a good to very good BYU team. It's not one of those great BYU women's volleyball teams though. If they win tonight, however, maybe they take take a step in a direction that we haven't seen quite yet because they they played a really tough schedule this They're year. They're lacking the signature they win. Only, yeah, they beat Pepperdine and LMU on the uh, you know twice good each. Awesome. But beating San Diego would be something that, incredibly yes, amazing. That would be the same for sure. Here's what I don't like. San Diego may have woken up after the scare against LMU. Perhaps. I don't like Hopefully that. Hopefully it was a vulnerability. Saudi Arabia upsets Argentina this morning in the World Cup. Great goal Just the Saudis. Crazy, Jeez. crazy upset. What's the BYU equivalent of the Saudi Arabians beating Argentina? Ranked 51st in the world. Argentina had won like 36 games in a row. I don't know, like if the 2017 team beats Alabama. <laughs> like, in football. I'm talking football. Like that was, <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know. The 2019 team beating Alabama. No, I'm, I'm going to go to the same year. BYU men's basketball going to the kennel in Spokane and beating the number one ranked undefeated Gonzaga Bulldogs who went on to play in a national championship game. That BYU team was one and done in the NIT. Bad, like, bad BYU. No business winning, period, amazing. against Gonzaga, let alone at the kennel on their senior night and spoiling their undefeated season. Like, that's the equivalent of the Saudis beating Argentina. That was amazing. And the Saudis deserved it, dude. It wasn't lucky. No, they, they won they the won game. They won that game. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. What's Trending presented by Bodyguards Protection for a Life Worth Living. Learn more at Bodyguards.com. Without question, Puka Nakua, a very special player, an NFL talent. We are looking at his career numbers today and projecting what we think he's going to do over the next two games and maybe next year as we discuss the Mount Rushmore of BYU football wide receivers. Jerem, what does Puka Nakua need to do in the final two games against Stanford and a bowl game to be included no, in BYU's wide receiver Mount Rushmore. Look, Puka's awesome. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but in terms of uh, who's on the Mount Rushmore, he's not on it for me. And a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, not being here for three or four years. Uh, obviously went to Washington, eventually comes around to BYU, which is awesome. Not being healthy. And, uh, you know, I, I'm awarding my Mount Rushmore award sustainability. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, you know, three plus years here, doing it over time. Not being injured? Singular seasons, yeah, the, whether that's up to you or not, it's part of the conversation, right? Sometimes it happens to you, sometimes you, you get hurt or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Puka's awesome. Well, let's just attack Puka right now. He's got seven 100-yard games in two years receiving. That's awesome. The 75-yard play to open the season on offense, incredible. We'll remember that for a long time. Boise State catch. We're going to remember that forever. That was an incredible catch and a huge win this season. 15 total touchdowns in 20 games. That's a fantastic ratio, right? He might be in the playmaker Mount Rushmore at receiver for BYU. Sure. Overall, like, uh, playmaking, Glenn Kozlowski, Reno Mahe, Cody Hoffman, like, Austin Collie. Mitch Matthews against Nebraska. Mitch against Nebraska in that, in that particular game. Unbelievable play, right? Last 20 years, he's, he's one of the top four, I, w- I would say. Overall, historically, I, I don't put him in the top four, and there's nothing he can do in the last two games. Now, if he comes back next year and he's here for three years, now he's got a chance, perhaps, to crack it. Yes. But probably not. Um, yeah, probably not, which I'll get to my Mount Rushmore in a moment. He's on the Independence-era Mount Rushmore of BYU football. Yeah, that's not a thing we're no. doing, but I guess we are right now. Yeah, We could qualify it of there. Of receivers? Yes. Sure. Yeah, with Cody Hoffman and, and Mitch Matthews. I spent all my time this morning thinking about all time. Oh, so, yeah, so, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I, I say that in jest as we look at BYU no, winding down the Independence like, era. Yeah, yeah. But Puka Nakua, even if he has all-world performances against Stanford – and comes down with a huge game-winning catch again against Stanford and does something special in the bowl game, there's just not enough material there to earn a spot on BYU's all-time Mount Rushmore of wide receivers. You just have to have three to four years of playing consistently. By the way, I had an AirPod in the whole time and no one told me. It's okay. I, I thought you. I was it. watching the World Cup no, no, and I, I forgot. I thought you had your AirPod in because you wanted to multitask. That's my bad. Which is totally fine. Hold on, yeah, go ahead and make that deal. <laughs> what, what in the world am I doing? No, this is what you do. What people don't know is you have your AirPod in. When I start to answer, you just turn on some music so you I don't just have say, to listen it's, to it's me. Canceling. Just I'm like, just Spencer. tell me in my right ear, which has an earpiece, and I. Oh my gosh. You're what? gonna listen to my opinion whether you like it or what, not. What in the world did I just do? No, there, there's nothing that Puka Nakua can do in no. two games no. to ascend to the Mount Rushmore of BYU football wide receivers. We need more. If he decides to come back for another year and throws down a 1,300-plus year with 10-plus touchdowns, then he's in the conversation. I don't even know that that would put him there. It still doesn't. But now he's a top-10 receiver and making his way up those ranks. But it's okay. It's it's okay. Puka Nakua can be an unbelievable playmaker and – when it comes to like the ability to make a big catch, he he can be like one of the best in that regard. That's why I put him on the playmaking. Yes, Mount Rushmore. But if we're talking about like yeah. career numbers, just didn't do just, enough. Just not enough time, and he yes. was injured for a good deal of the season. Had to miss a handful of and games. And that's part of the conversation. We, we that's a tricky, slippery slope. If you're like, well, if they were healthy, it's like, well, if Taysom Hill is healthy the whole time, are you yes. saying he's on par with like McMahon, Detmer, Young? Because I'm not. Like. He maybe enters the B conversation. I, t- Hill, to me, is like in the C conversation yeah. among that group of quarterbacks. That's how good also, the quarterbacks have been. But he's not even in the B, right? Zach Wilson entered the B level with that 2020 yeah. season. Puka Nakua would need to be an All-American next year to now move toward the conversation. He yeah. would need to have an yeah. Austin Collie junior season type year. He's great. To go there. But hasn't done enough. Okay, you ready for the Mount Rushmore? All right, Rushmore? Give, me your, give me your Mount Rushmore. Okay, I, it depends what you value in this conversation. Okay, um, career, single season, what role does health play, playmaking, ability, athleticism, yards, catches, touchdowns. I did the latter. Like, if you, if you put it up over several years, that's high in my book. So, yeah. I picked the only four guys that are top ten in yards, catches, and touchdowns. I know. Oh, I'm glad. You're going you're gonna to go with Austin, somebody that deserves it. Austin, yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Austin Collie 
is the greatest receiver in BYU history. No questions asked. He, he did, did what he did three seasons. Three years. Cody Hoppins, number one in all three of those categories. He's number two all time. Eric Drage is right there as well. And Phil Odell. You yep. may not have heard of Phil Odell, but for 35 years he owned all the records. He, 25 years. He owned all the records until Matt Bellini showed up and, and helped smash some of those, and then those kept getting broken. Honorable mention, Margin Hooks, Matt Bellini, Mark Bellini, Mitch Matthews, Glenn Kozlowski, Puka's in that conversation. Those four guys are the guys. The top two are, are clearly there. Eric Drage, clearly there. And then Phil Odell led BYU in all those categories. 5'11", 190, just did tremendous work in the 60s with yes. Virgil Carter yes. and after Virgil for a year. Phil Odell, you may not have heard of him, but on this program, we remember those guys like Mel Hutchins and Roland Minson and everybody from every era. We try to honor the legacy of those guys. Like Bill Russell isn't a lesser player in the NBA history. Certainly not. He is, he is right there, even though it was in the 60s, right? He did what he did in three seasons. 65, 66, 67. The original Austin Collie. Exactly. Phil Odell. That's exactly right. And in an era where college football was dominated by the run game, and this was pre-Lavelle Edwards and his pass-happy attack when he took over as yeah. the head coach Gordon in Husband. the early 70s. Yeah. This was five to seven years before that. Phil Odell broke some barriers at BYU in the receiving category, got drafted by the Detroit Lions, played in Detroit for three years, and he was BYU's first great receiver. He deserves to be on Mount Rushmore. In fact, I had him third and Eric Drage fourth. I mean, we're... You know, splitting hairs. So at you that have the point. same four? Same four. Oh, Austin wow, Colley, okay. Cody nice. Hoffman, Phil Odell, number three, and Eric Drage at number four. It was Eric Drage who finally broke most of Phil Odell's records at BYU. When you do what you did in, in three years from 65 to 67, come on. Freshman couldn't play in the NCAA for Phil Odell made our top 100 BYU football play show a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. We, we tried to get Phil in the show. He deserves we, to be we there. We respect Phil that much. I had a hard time deciding who I would make the fifth. I'm like, who's the first guy off the mountain? Because that's where it gets really, really interesting. I have a name. Margin Hooks, maybe? Margin Hooks. Here's why. He's, uh, he is fifth uh, in catches and yards in BYU history. He wasn't and a big touchdown a guy. He had no. 14 career touchdowns. He's 20th in BYU history. Yeah, and Phil Odell had 24 touchdowns in his three seasons. Machine. Right? So uh, Virgil's Eric, main target. All of the guys on Mount Rushmore... Again, were so complete and had full careers of either three to four years. Austin Collie's the clear number one. And that's taking nothing away from Cody Hoffman and Drage and Phil Odell. Austin Collie was a special, special player. If he comes back another year, no one touches no. that maybe ever. Like maybe ever. He had over 1,500 yards receiving his junior season. Yeah. He was awesome. That is unbelievable. Great. So I really had a good time looking back on the history and the numbers. When you, when you get down to... Like five, six, seven, eight, nine—that that gets fun, and it just made yeah. me think. Like we need to do top ten shows for all of the individual yeah. positions Absolutely. over the summer. We need to do it with running backs, wide receivers, quarterbacks, linebackers. We need to let do be, this. Let's not do it with uh, kickers and punters, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and so, listen, if Puka had been here four years and he had put up numbers and been healthy, all timer, he could have cracked that. But it takes a lot. Like you've got to be awesome. By the way. Yeah. There are more great tight ends here than receivers. This, is, this school has had tremendous tight ends. Like when you look at a lot of those numbers. The receiving a, category. It's a lot of Dennis Pitta, yes. although we don't have time for him today. 
It's a lot of Chris Smith. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of Johnny Gordon Harleen, Hudson. Gordon Hudson. All these guys. Like, Clay Brown. Like, no, yeah, Clay Brown might be the best of them. Like, Gordon Hudson, uh, you know, probably the best. But, like, unbelievable stuff from these guys. I would argue the tight ends have been a stronger position group historically at the top than the receivers here. And typically, you only have one on the field. That's saying so that's, something that says a lot. when you are a quarterback factory school that the tight ends are right there, if not greater, as a collective group all time than BYU's wide receivers. It says a lot about BYU's ability to recruit a certain position. Absolutely. Because, uh, let's be honest, a lot of these guys are like possession receivers, if you will. But they went and made a lot of plays. And they were uh, in big games more than that. And Austin Colley was an NFL guy. Cody Hoffman, disappointingly, wasn't much of an NFL guy. I don't think he played in an NFL game on the 53. Maybe he did he, sparingly. No, no, he didn't. He, he got into he was the practice preseason. Squad and yeah, then, yeah. Which was a bummer because Cody was like one of the greatest ever. I have number two. You do too. Um, Drage, not much in the NFL. Phil Odo a little bit in the NFL, right? He hasn't had that yes. guy, yes. unfortunately. So I was thinking about the apex. Although Austin would have without the concussions. Like he was leading the NFL in receiving yards and touchdowns and catches. He was a sp- Like six star. games in with the Broncos. Until he got a concussion. He was a rookie star with Peyton Manning. Went to a Super Bowl. Yeah. Sorry, with the Colts. Yeah, so like the apex mountain moment for each of these receivers. thought, okay, well, for Austin Colley, do you have a singular moment where you think, okay, that was Austin's greatest moment? Colorado Colorado State, State, one-handed catch down the the sideline. He falls down. All right. Utah State. Same Uh, thing? Same type of deal? Fends the guy off with the left hand, goes, like, so many. Okay. Then Eric Drage, 97-yard catch against Utah for Eric Drage. Longest pass play in BYU history. Unforgettable moment. Yep. The play we had in the top 100 from Phil Odell was a game winner in a closely contested game. I don't remember who. or His apex. I want to say it was like Colorado State or something like that. Anyway, an important game in a WAC championship clinching scenario, like a really, really important game. Uh, And then Cody Hoppman, the catch against Georgia Tech where the defender is just draped on his back and dragging him down. It's pass interference, and somehow he catches the ball flying directly over his head like like Willie Mays style, right? Just cradles the incredible catch. They all have like these unforgettable moments. Yes. And I love that's part of the conversation as well. Pukas is obviously going to be the Boise State catch. Boise State, it's his ability to just – Run the ball yes. on jet yeah. sweeps. Just got a text from someone important that said, hey, where's, where's Kaz? Kaz is on the playmaking Mount Rushmore. And, and he should be honorably mentioned as well. His yes. moment He's in the honorable was mention in the national yeah. championship game. That. Yes. Uh, catching that pass from Robbie Bosco in the back of the end zone where they, yeah. his teammates joked that Robbie was just throwing it out of bounds and Kozlowski happened to be there and bail him yeah. out and catch no, a touchdown. No, Kaz is all over this thing. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. No, no, no. He's not in the top four. But, he's but got he's, he's got a case right to there. be like number five along yes. with margin hooks. He's right there, absolutely. Playmaking top four causes on that Mount Rushmore. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm trying to think who else. Who else? Would I we think put we on tried playmaking because he tried to kiss four. me on set. I put him down low. <laughs> <laughs> he would he would have been firmly fifth, but now he's now he's eleventh. You know, I just wasn't ready for that. I guess. Okay, another name I do want to mention that maybe kind of you know glossed over a little bit is Mark Bellini. Mark no, I put Mark in my honorable mention. Yeah, Mark like Lee had a great career. Let me give and you. And he was a touchdown machine. Let me give you a number here, okay? Um, so I, I, I combined like, okay, what's your rank in catches yards touchdowns, and what is that total? Okay, Mark took sixth in that. Yes. Okay, he took sixth in that. Incredible. Like Mark is one of the. Mark might be the most underrated player uh, receiver. I was just going to go there. Maybe most underappreciated receiver. Because we think of history. Matt first. Mm-hmm. Mark was. Matt was a running back. Who happened to play like split wide receiver? He was kind of like a hybrid running back well, receiver. Well, he has like 
2,600 receiving yards. You're not a running back. But he's back listed as a running back? Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that, so that the, Bellini, crazy. the Bellini brothers, they're the best brother Puka, tandem. Puka. Eh, Samson's like, what about my one year and my Utah catch? <laughs> Although Samson didn't have the numbers, but yeah, I feel you. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Because it is a winning Monday, who better to invite into the show than ESPN College Football insider and expert, friend of the program, ESPN's Trevor Maddich. Trevor, first and foremost, hope you enjoyed a nice weekend. And hey, as ugly as it was at times, BYU figured it out late. We got some positives and negatives to discuss in the 52-26 win. So let's start with the positives. What was the best thing you saw from BYU other than the Cougars winning the game on Saturday? It was a BYU passing game. I mean, on a day when the Utah Tech defense sold out to stop Puka Nakua. They put two guys on him, three guys on him sometimes. He had five catches for 53 yards. Didn't really dominate the game, but the rest of the receivers stepped up. Jaron Hall was accurate. And it wasn't just that there were guys running wide open all over the field all the time. There were plays where the coverage was tight. The ball had to be precise, and it was. The receivers had to win a fight for the ball, and they did on those plays. And, guys, we've talked about this over the years, that I hate it when receivers just want to receive the ball. It comes in, and if it gets there, okay, I'll catch it. No, we want those guys to fight for the ball, and we saw that happen on a number of occasions in this game. Those young receivers really stepped up. They really did, and Keanu Hill, as mentioned and seen in the music video, uh, six for 136 and three touchdowns. Uh, career high 456 passing for Jaron, second most in FBS. Caleb Williams was the only guy who threw for more uh, against UCLA with 470. Let's talk about the other part of this game, though, because BYU did trail after the first quarter. BYU did give up 26 points in this. BYU didn't cover. It was a little weird at times. Uh, what was lacking, uh, in your opinion, from BYU in that game? In some ways, the first half of this game was sort of a microcosm of some of the problems BYU has had. I think in terms of focus, and, and you might even call it leadership. I mean, for goodness sake, they started out slow again against a team that they wanted to pound because of bulletin board material coming from the other side in the week before the game. And they talked about after the game how that was important, the BYU Cougars did, that they wanted to actually to, to make these guys pay for some of the things that were said. That's all well and good. But the way you do that is to play good, sound, disciplined football. And they ended up for the game with 11 penalties, 132 yards. In the first half, they were largely terrible on both sides of the ball. It looked to me like they were trying to, to, to make those guys pay for the things that they said rather than go out and make them pay by winning football. Let me tell you a story. Um, my rookie year in the NFL, the New York Giants came up to our team, the Patriots, during training camp to practice. And Lawrence Taylor, their Hall of Fame linebacker, uh, in a one-on-one -on -one pass drill, just went right around our left tackle. So after the whistle, the left tackle, as Taylor was slowing down, shoved him in the back. So Taylor looked up, looked at him, looked at the coach, and said, let's do it again. Went back there and lined up. Now, I'm this rookie, and I'm thinking, oh, no, what's going to happen next? Is Taylor going to hit him in the mouth? Is he going to punch him in the ear hole? What's he going to do, right? But what Taylor did was threw a move that was so spectacular that our guy didn't even touch him. Our guy ended up on the ground, and Taylor was around for another sack. And then Taylor didn't say a word. 
He just went back to his side and the next guy stepped up. That's how you show people. You show them by playing better football than they are. Then if you want to give them some extra, go right ahead. But BYU in the first half played in a way that appeared to me that looked like they were distracted away from playing good football and towards some other agenda. And that certainly was the result in the first half. And that to me was disappointing. Trevor Maddich of ESPN is with us on BYU Sports Nation for another Maddich Monday. Let's talk about Puka Nakua. This morning, we learned that he accepted an invitation to the Senior Bowl presented by Reese's. And now we're feeling like, okay, did he just make the decision that he for sure is going to the NFL? That's a conversation for future days. But in your opinion, is now the time for Puka Nakua to fully declare for the NFL? It's, it wouldn't be a bad time. He could certainly come back and learn to be more precise with routes, more precise and advanced in reading defenses. There's all kinds of things as a receiver that you can improve on. But there's two things you need to think about. The first one is that the, in the NFL, receiver used to be one of the hardest positions to break in as a rookie because it was so complex to read defenses at that level. But now there are so many college principals that have come into NFL offenses that young receivers are making an impact earlier. The second thing is that Pukunakua has shown himself to be a playmaker. I mean, an all-around playmaker, running the ball, catching the ball, blocking, all kinds of things. And because of that, he delivers and he takes a lot of hits. And it's not a bad thing to say, okay, I'm a receiver. I'm, I'm, he's over 200 pounds, but he's not you know, a big old stocky you know, running back of some sort. And so to take the next step into the league at this point, now that he has shown to be such a playmaker, might not be a bad thing, too, so he doesn't expose himself to all the hits that he would have next season. So if he leaves now, uh, I, I couldn't say that it was a bad decision. I would say that, hey, there's lots of reasons to go. Do you feel the same way about Jaron Hall, Blake Freeland, and perhaps Clark Barrington as well? I think Jaron Hall uh, could go as well, especially with his injury history. If he finished this season, finishes this season healthy, then – for him to go now is probably, I wouldn't say it's a bad decision either. Again, he could come back and learn a lot more and, and even get better and prepare himself better. Uh, another reason to come back and prepare is because of the group of quarterbacks coming out this year is very, very deep. Next year, he'd probably have less competition that would likely be drafted ahead of him at that position. But at the same time, he doesn't want to come back next year and risk necessarily being injured like he has in seasons past. So he has to balance that. I think the guys on the offensive line, um, you know, when you talk about left tackle, you go. You, you've got a guy out there, Freeland, who is is got the, the, the size, the characteristics of a left tackle in the NFL. I think Barrington at left guard is a guy that's very, very talented, but he's built like a left tackle. He's tall. He's not particularly stocky. He's a guy that may next year move out to left tackle and show the NFL that he can play that position. So he's the one that's most likely to me to have a good reason to come back rather than a 50-50 call. Trevor, let's have some hypothetical fun and say that Jaron Hall returns to BYU as they go into year one of Big 12 play. How would that shift your expectations for BYU in the win-loss column next year if Jaron Hall is back at quarterback? No, it would be massive. The the Big 12 is a really good league. They've got a ton of talent. You just look at the quarterbacks that are playing this year, starting with Max Duggan at TCU. I mean, then look all over the league. You've got transfers coming in from the Pac-12. You've got outstanding quarterbacks. And if BYU can't match that, then they'll be in trouble from a comparative standpoint. 
Now, when you the same way with Pukunakua, you need playmakers all over the place to keep up with what the other offenses can do. Now, the the flip side of that is no matter what the left guard, left tackle, you know, Barrington or Freeland decide to do with the draft for BYU, BYU will have an experienced and talented offensive line again next year. And they will also have Miles Davis coming back. The running back position should be um, a relative strength as well for BYU next year. And so they'll start with a core of of the ability to run the ball and protect the quarterback. So even if even if Jaron Hall doesn't come back, if Puka doesn't come back, I think the foundation is good. And then you've got the guys that are on the roster right now at quarterback. But look at freshmen that may want to come in. Look at transfers that may want to come in to also compete for that spot. They would be starting with an experienced offensive line, running backs that can make plays, and one of the better young receiving cores in the Big 12. And so that would be a good position if you're not on the roster right now at quarterback to want to come and join this roster and compete with the guys that are already here and let the chips fall where they may. So there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic about BYU's ability to compete right away next year, even if Jaron and Puka don't come back. But if they do come back, then you've got to look at BYU as as a contender for one of the top positions in that league. Let's hope so. That'd be awesome. I'm starting with make a bowl game and then building up from there, but that's just me. And let's see who the quarterback is, right? Um, which brings me to this. Perhaps the weirdest thing about this season is how much Jacob Conover hasn't played, Trevor. In your day, the backups played a lot. Like, Blaine was like a regular dude on the field, right, as, as a quality backup at BYU. Jacob Conover's played five snaps. So we can read into that a, a few different ways. One is that, hey, Jaron Hall checked the box of he can – you know, play most of a season. Hopefully he continues to play and is good, right, through the rest of the season. But also, like, why hasn't Jacob Conover played more? It's, it's been a little weird that we've only seen five snaps. I've not looked this up. I'm not going to. This has got to be the fewest times a backup's ever played this far into a season in, in perhaps BYU history. This is a little weird. Yeah, no, yeah, it is weird. And there's a lot we don't know about it. So it's really hard to say that, hey, that's a good thing or that's a bad thing. I mean, I don't know. I know he's a talented player, but I don't, I don't know why he hasn't come in more, especially in a game like this against an FCS school that finally in the second half as BYU started to pull away. Would have been a good time for him to get some experience, but but they didn't do that. You did mention something interesting, though, that uh, in allowing Jaron to play, he was able to continue to show NFL scouts that he can take the hits, he can make the throws, and all those different things. Look at what Stanford did last week against Cal. Yeah. For goodness sake, Stanford is down by 10 with five seconds to go. So they're not going to win this game. It's just not going to happen. It's impossible. They line up for a 61-yard field goal, Stanford does, with five seconds to go, down 10. And the kicker makes it. <laughs> so to me, that's the coach showcasing for the NFL or for the All-Pac-12 voters or whatever, hey, my kicker's really good, or to give him a chance to get that experience. There's all kinds of reasons that, that coaches do that. And so it is a mystery, though, and especially if Jaron does not come back next year, the, the current roster of backup quarterbacks on this team, I think, are, are a mystery, and I would love to see some emerging clarity going forward about the guys that are here. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. 
Former NFL and BYU linebacker David Nixon. D-Nix, welcome to the, the show, Elders man. <laughs> feels good to be here. It feels good to be here. It feels like this is, might be tithing settlement. And a few move-ins. Are they taken care of? We were just talking about the greatest receivers to ever play the game at BYU. Yeah. You had the privilege to play alongside closely with one of them in Austin Colley. He's the, the clear the number greatest. one. Yeah. The clear He's number the best one to us. Ever. What was it like to be Austin Collie's teammate when you're a defender and you know your offense needs to go out and score a touchdown and he and Max Hall and Dennis Pitta take the field? I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times there were third downs, third and five, six, where typically the well, the, the, the coach are yelling, punt alert, punt alert, like get ready, you got, you know, we're about to have to maybe punt it. And us defense, we just sit there like, no, we're good. We're good, thank you. We know they're going to get a first down. We'll just keep relaxing. I don't need to exert any energy to get up. Here's the and, stiff arm. Boom. Uh, I mean, honestly, there were, we had so much confidence in them. And keep in mind, we're, I was coming off John Beck with Johnny Harleen and Austin and the rest of the crew, right, um, prior. And so for, for me, it was a lot of confidence and just knowing that, those guys just seamlessly carried on what, what John had kind of started. And Max comes in, picks up right where he left off, and then Austin just, just balled out into this thing. And uh, it was awesome. It was fun to watch. I mean, they made some big explosive plays, right? And, and those guys, you could depend on them to come up with, with those plays and, and kind of carry the offense. There were a couple of games where we had some shootouts, and, and we need the offense to produce. Um, and then, of course, there were some games where it's defense. We stepped up. And so it was, it was a nice kind of give and take throughout the season. But – yeah, awesome special, and it was, it was fun to see his competitive side as well. We always talk about the competitive side of Max, but Austin's just as competitive. Yes. And, and it, was, it was fun to kind of watch them do their thing, along with Dennis Pitta, throw him in the mix. Um, Harvey Younger, running back. And we had, we had Like, those guys are offense. top five at their position, probably, in, in BYU history. Max is a fun combo because that's a loaded room. But Harvey and Dennis, for sure, it's up And, and I think that's what was so tough to defend BYU. Okay, so you want to go double-team Austin? Great. You got Dennis running up the seam. Or you got you got Harvey coming out of the backfield on option route. Good luck, right? I mean, you had you had a one on one somewhere, and the, one of those three guys was going to beat you. And and sure enough, we did. I mean, nobody could stop him. And then I just you know, spread him out. It was it was pretty fun to watch. And those guys, uh, they're still studs. You got you know all of them in the coaching, uh, helping out some way or another because they're they're carrying on with what they knew. And uh, yeah, absolute studs. We were talking about Puka Nakua being a top four guy in just his playmaking ability because. The Mount Rushmore is based largely on career numbers, but Puka Nakua's just downright playmaking ability puts him on that Mount Rushmore. That's right? what, yeah, and that's what we were talking about. Like, yeah, he doesn't have the sustained sort of career of of just the two years, probably right, and, and injuries and whatnot. But like, if you need a, a play, like game changer, yeah. Glenn Kozlowski, Mitch Matthews, Austin Cody, obviously, like he's up there. Oh, I, I mean. I would put Austin, him, 1A and 1B. I mean, as far playmaking. as playmaking. As far as playmaking. Yeah, stats. He's obviously not going to have the stats yeah. in two years, right? Yeah. But when you talk about needing to play and, and going up and getting the ball and, and just dominating, I don't know how you couldn't put it up there in at least the top two. I mean, I, I love Cody. I love Mitch. Um, but, but Puka's ability and the catches he's made this year with the, the toe tapping. Um, you know, and then one thing we didn't see from all those other receivers was the run game. Mm-hmm. The way that Puka gets involved in the fly sweep game and, and the quick bubble screens and the way he's able to turn those into positive gains. And the thing I love about Puka that he doesn't get a lot of credit for is his first contact. When was the last time we saw him come down on first, ta- on first contact? So physical. Never. Every single time he has a spin move where he actually spins back inside, which is pretty dangerous, but shows you how, you know, how, how much he cares about the game. But the, the ability for him to spin back inside and pick up an extra five yards almost every single time uh, is pretty impressive. And, and, I, I, and then I think the last part 
is just the emotional side of it. All those guys we mentioned, Cody maybe kind of quiet, more a little more quiet. Um, but when Puka gets up, I mean, you can tell he commands that offense. He's gonna and, slap you in the head, literally. He is, he is going gangbusters. I think back to the Utah game whenever the he was he scored or Samson, Samson scored. Samson scores. He runs off the sideline and they're jumping up and down. I mean, that is Puka Nakua to a T. The way that he just loves the game, and I'm telling you, stuff like that's infectious. Like the, the, that 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 riles up the team, and guys catch on to that and they want to be at that level. And I'm telling you, it, 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 it pumps the whole team up. And it's a bummer this year. We didn't get to see him healthy the whole entire year. I think that's, that's the biggest bummer is that, you know, he was injured the first game. On or, a, last, kind of a, or last year. He had a hamstring. Yeah, the first I mean, this month. year the meaningless kind of fly sweep. We're already killing USF and gets, you know, tangled up and, and then the hamstring. And so it's just, yeah, it's unfortunate. But when he did play, he, he was unstoppable. Honestly, he was unstoppable. Special player. Took the first plate from scrimmage this season. <laughs> Set the tone. To the house for a touchdown. That was amazing. What's the case for Puka Nakua to play one more year at BYU? Hmm. It's a tough case. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, you know, we talked about in the postgame show. I mean, a lot of these guys, if you're going to be if you're gonna get drafted high, you, you got to go. You got to get your money. But if you're gonna Is be, he going to be drafted high? And that's the big question. I, I, I think I that, that'll be the feedback he'll, he'll get. I mean, the, the Boise State game definitely helps his draft stock. Sure. What, what he does against Stanford in, in a bowl game, if he plays in the bowl game, will help his. Will obviously help his. He's case. Got a great film against Baylor from last year. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, he's got the film on there, and, and I think for him, the, the, the compelling pitch is come back and hopefully play a whole season healthy, right? Um, and play against great competition, where now there's no reason that you know the, the scouts and and GMs and stuff can't sit back and say, oh, well, that was against. You know, East Carolina, who the, still good, but this so schedule kind of, was kind of good pick enough. apart the schedule. Was it not? This schedule was good enough. Yeah, the problem was he wasn't healthy the whole season for that schedule, right? And so next year, that schedule will be obviously top to bottom strong enough that if he can stay healthy and put up big numbers, um, it'll be compelling. But the other part of that is, is Jaron coming back? Yeah. You know, and, and, I feel like I, they have to be a tandem because I, if Jaron doesn't come back, should Puka come back not knowing what the quarterback situation is going to be? I would agree. Like? I would agree. I think, I think they've got to be. If they're not texting or calling each other right now on a daily basis, I'd be shocked. Honestly, <laughs> maybe they're waiting until after this week. They might use WhatsApp, like, <laughs> yeah, they, they might use Telegram or something. But I, I would say, you know, they might let this week go through and, and kind of get through the end of the season. I remember that's how it was with me. I kind of didn't want to talk about anything or talk with agents or anything until after the. I remember the last I kept game. pestering you, David, 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 yeah. you going pro? Yeah, What's going you, on, man? Yeah, I was wondering. And you were like, hey, after the season. After, after the season, I'm a senior. I have to go. <laughs> uh, but I, I would say for them, uh, wait till the, wait till the Stanford's game over, and then it's full court press, talking with the coaches, talking with each other, because I agree. If Puka comes back and Jaron's not here to throw to him, and you're having to deal with some new some new guy who you don't know at this but point, what if it's P five awesome guy? We'll see. Like we'll see. Like I think we ought to show a little bit of confidence that BYU is going to bring in a baller. We've never really had an issue with QB, right? Like at BYU, we're like that guy is typically going to be so really good. So that brings up the other conversation for this year for Jaron to leave. If he can leave and get drafted somewhat higher, just get drafted. Then at least BYU can take, say, listen, we got Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall. Any transfer come here, right? Your your pitch is that much stronger because you just look at the recent um, kind of track record with Zach Wilson now Jaron Hall. If he leaves, you even take it back to Taysom Hill, David. You, you got Taysom. Do you know yeah, about you, Taysom? I'm extremely confident BYU is going to have a very good quarterback next year. Yeah. I just yeah. am. I'm not worried. I'm yeah. not worried. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're hearing we're hearing rumblings. People are reaching out, and uh, you know, there's there's stuff moving. If this shaking. coach goes to this school, does that player be a bit like yeah. Huna? There are there are opportunities. This is uh, QBU more than any other position. Yeah, I'm not that worried. Like, and I just think Puka's gone. Period. Like, I just think he's 
done what he, he can do. Yes, he could come back and try and play through school. that. But I mean, he'd been in school for a long time. You want to be done? I don't want to do homework anymore. Not yeah. everyone loves play, school, by the way. I want to go play way. football. Yeah, I, I didn't love school. Like, I enjoyed going to BYU and going to classes, but I didn't enjoy the homework. I came to learn how to broadcast. <laughs> and once I graduated, I just broadcast. Like, no one's asked for my GPA. No one's questioned my uh, what degree I've had in anything. You know what I mean? There are certain fields where it's just whatever. All right, we need to ask you about Stanford. It's guaranteed that we will see Jaron Hall and Puka Nakua and the BYU offense play against Stanford. What do you expect from BYU against a Cardinal team that beat Notre Dame this year, by the way, in South Bend, but has been just on this descent down into the basement of college football. So what do you expect? Listen, if there's anything I can expect from uh, BYU playing another opponent, is that other opponent is somehow going to rise to the occasion and fall out <laughs> against BYU. It just shoot, somehow happens shoot. every single time. Uh, but no. I, I, listen, I think this is a, this is a BYU team that, that obviously has some defensive issues. They made some adjustments. Um, I, I feel like they really have gotten better every week with those adjustments that have been made. Uh, but keep in mind with the defense as well, this is a defense that's been struggling with uh, injuries. And you've had guys that have been coming and going. And now with Peyton Wilgar pretty much being out, you know, a lot of these guys have, have realized this is my starting role. And Max is not listed in the two deep this week either. Max has been banged up. He hasn't played for quite some time. And so I think a lot of these guys have gotten those game reps and know that this is my spot. They're not wondering, hey, if Max is game time decision, is he going to come back or not? Am I going to start or not? It's pretty much definitive at this point, right? And so I think that helps some of these younger guys and uh, some of these guys have tried to fill those spots. Get ready. Um, offensively, we're seeing them there. I think Jaron's shoulder every week gets healthier and healthier. I think this last week as Utah Tech, he made some throws that he hasn't made in quite some time. Some great throws. Um, and, and so I think that that's helping. So I think everything's trending in the right direction. But that being said, you're, they're still a P5 school. Uh, it's at their house. It's their last game of the year. That's an emotional game. This is a neutral site game, let's be honest. <laughs> Thanksgiving weekend at Stanford. Okay, okay, well, we actually see what the crowd is. Uh, see, for Stanford. Yeah, see, point. I mean, there, there, there's some emotional things in play for Stanford, uh, you know, and, and for BYU. Can they put it together? It's actually an intriguing game. Yes, BYU on paper should go in there and blow them out. But when you add all the emotion, eh. I mean – yeah, we'll see. Yeah, BYU by a touchdown is BYU what I think eight, would be fair. Eight-point favorite, I is that think what I it saw. Yeah. Eight-point favorite one that we Listen, for BYU, it's, for BYU, BYU this year, that's, yeah, a, for BYU this year yeah. that's a blowout. I'll take eight-point eight favorite. Are we going to be that picky? They won't either. They won two FPS games by three points. Yeah. That's it. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Cougar Whip Round presented by Marisk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner. BYU is projected to play in the Frisco Bowl versus Middle Tennessee Woo! or Armed Forces Bowl versus the Air Force, depending on who you ask. Which projected BYU-Texas Bowl game and opponent are you more interested in? I want the Armed Forces Bowl against Air Force. I think that would be a really compelling matchup. I also saw BYU projected to play Kansas in the Armed Forces Bowl in another publication. So give me the Armed Forces Bowl on December 22nd. I think that'd be fun. That 2011 trophy is the heaviest trophy that exists for BYU football, fun fact. That thing is crazy. I don't know the poundage there, but let's just say Hebron fan Gupo had a hard time lifting that up. Okay. BYU men's basketball is currently averaging 19 turnovers a game through four contests. <sighs> Not good. <sighs> Jerem, over under 19 turnovers for BYU today against USC. I'm going 20 plus again, it's been three or four. USC is 26th in tempo, so they're gonna push it. 
BYU, um, USC's 248th in turnover percentage as well. They stink. BYU's 10th worst, by the way. 25% uh, of possessions are turnover. I'm going 20 plus. I think this team's still figuring it out. I think they're still going to push it. And I think the uh, Atlantic Ocean uh, humidity is going to get to the ball. I feel like there's been such an emphasis from Mark Pope this week, building up to it, that BYU might go under. They'll go 18. I'm going to go 18 turns. <laughs> 18 turns, which is crazy. 18's still bad, That's, but it would be better. Yeah. I'm going to go you, 18. If you're creating a bunch more possessions, it's not the worst thing in the world, actually, because you're just making up for it. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. New York Jets head coach Robert Sala speaking with the media moments ago and, of course, what's trending brought to you by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Tim Daly Outer Group serving Utah since 1968. And... Coach Sala, very composed, very even keel presentation here. These are his opening comments about Zach Wilson moments ago. Zach's career here is not over. I know that's going to be the narrative. I know that what, that's what everybody wants to, wants to shout out, and that's not even close to the case. The intent, the full intent, is to make sure Zach gets, uh, gets back on the football field at some point this year. Um, when that is, I'll make that decision. I'm going to take it day to day. Uh, the biggest thing with Zach and the same things that we've talked about is the young man needs a reset. Um, uh, his decision making's been fine, his practice habits, all that stuff have been fine, but there's some basic fundamental things that have gotten really out of whack for him. And this is just an opportunity for him to sit back, uh, focus on those things, find a way to get uh, uh, reconnect to all the different things that we, uh, we fell in love with during the draft process. And it's something that I feel like he's going to be able to do. Um, I think to ask him to do all those things while preparing for a game is unfair, um, but uh, but at the same time, it's uh, it's something just talking with Zach that I think we're all excited to attack. And this is, you know, like I said, it's is it a small step back? Absolutely for him, but do I think it's going to be a great leap forward when it uh, when he does get a chance to reset himself? Absolutely, and um, so this is not a uh, this is not putting a, a nail in his coffin. This is not that. It's not even close to that. But, uh, but I do believe at the end of this is going to be a, a rejuvenated, renewed young man that uh, uh, once he reconnects to, his, to all the different things that we're trying to reconnect to, he's going to show why he was the second pick. There's a lot there. Needs a hard reset. Things have gotten out of whack. Time to reconnect with everything we as a staff fell in love with. But it's too much to ask for him to do that while preparing for a game and not the end of his career in New York, though Yes, my first reaction was, oh my gosh, is Zach Wilson done as a quarterback in New York? Well, Coach Sala says he's not. Jaron, what's your reaction to this move by the New York Jets the day before Thanksgiving, before their game with the Chicago Bears? Well, I want to get to a few uh, reports from Zach Rosenblatt that uh, are even bigger news than what we just heard. So, uh, Zach uh, covers the Jets for The Athletic. He said, Robert Sala said, Joe Flacco will be the backup on Sunday. Mike White's going to start. Zach Wilson won't be active. Wow, that Zach Wilson won't even be the backup. He won't even be in uniform. Like, that is – there must be more going on there. Maybe they give him, like, a mental health break uh, this week or something. For because sure. Yeah, that, he's, that he's not even He's not even going to be dressed for this game. Also, Robert Salas said uh, Zach Wilson reacted with some frustration when he was told the news, why me? I want to play. <sighs> it's tough. That, like, Zach, Zach needs, yes, a hard restart, uh, reset here because – Clearly, he doesn't understand 
you've been playing poorly, you're going to be put on the bench, you needed to take more ownership over some of this, and he can play better, but I, I think he's been a little naive about this, uh, given his reaction after the game, given his reaction to being told this morning, why me? What do you mean, why me? Isn't it obvious why it's you? Um, Steve Valen and I always like to joke in the middle of a men's volleyball game when someone goes, hey, my bad. We go, yes, it's your bad. Obviously, it was your bad. You're trying to acknowledge your teammates. Blah, 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 trying to take ownership. Just, yes. Uh, Zach hasn't quite taken that. Why me? Like, uh, this, is, this is another response from a guy that we really like, and Zach Wilson, he's our guy, is, ah, Zach, you don't get it right now. He should have said, okay, coach, I understand I'm going, to be, I'm going to prepare this week like I'm going to be the starter in the same way. I'll be ready to go when you ask me, and I look forward to that opportunity. Like, that would be the ideal response from Zach in that situation. Certainly, it's an emotional time for him going through this. This is uh, not his first bit of sort of uh, frustration or trial in the NFL, but it's the first big moment where it's like, hey, you're not playing great, you're getting benched, and New York's going after you. The whole country's going after you in the media because you play in New York. If Zach played... Outside of New York, the reaction would not be the same as it is in New York. So still hoping Zach um, figures it out and sort of understands why. <laughs> it's because you're not playing great, bro. Uh, you can't make weather an excuse uh, that it was windy when Mac Jones throws for 250 out there. And you need to take ownership. So certainly this is a growing moment uh, and moments for Zach. I'm a bit surprised that he's not even active in this game. This is quite the message from the Jets of, hey, we need you to uh, relax this week and let's get back at it next week. Zach Wilson is a hard-nosed kid. He didn't take lightly to the idea that he was in a battle with Jaron Hall for the starting quarterback position going into the 2019 season. He's been in a type of scenario like this before, but he's never been told, like, okay, you're not the guy. Right. When was the last time he was told he wasn't the guy? Maybe as a freshman year at BYU when he lost a job to Tanner Mangum. But again, that's more palatable because he's a freshman, he's 18, yes. and he's not expected to be the guy. When, yeah, was it like when he was in elementary school? Because he's been the guy for a long time. It's he's been tough. very good. Like He's yeah. a competitor, and so I understand why he's – what he wants to do is he wants to make things right. He wants to prove to everybody, no, 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 no. I can still play. I can still do this. I'm a good player, and he doesn't want to have to wait for the opportunity to prove to people that he can do that. I get that. From a competitive and a competitor standpoint, you want to go out and say, no, 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 I'm good. Like, I can do this. I want to quiet the doubters. And he's probably pointing to, well, how, what about how I played against Buffalo? And what about how I played against the Pittsburgh Steelers? Like, people were singing my praises after those games this season. We're 5-2. and two. I lost my starting running back, Brees Hall. All of these things, I'm sure that, that, that is the defense mechanism that Zach Wilson and people in his corner are probably using. But to your point, when your head coach says, I need you to be with me on this decision and support me in starting Mike White, you, you just need to say, okay. You need to bite your tongue and you need to say, okay. At some point, it has to be about the team. If you want to win that locker room back, you have to make it about the team and not about you. So the step for Zach Wilson to earning the team's trust back is to accept this role and try and take it with as much grace as possible, work even harder. 
I don't read as much into the inactive part right now because I think it is kind of just a mental break. And New York can now activate somebody that they might need in another injury-riddled position and elevate them for the game where they feel like, okay, we can utilize Zach's spot and get better in another position group to try and win this game. So I'm not as concerned about that. What I am concerned about is that, that Zach is not in line with the team mentality first right now. At least his comments and what we've been told and what we're hearing in the media from Zach himself in some cases would suggest that it's not about the team first. And you got to make it about the team if you want to win the complete trust of your teammates back. He had some of his good friends, Quinn and Williams, notably step up to the podium and say, we love Zach. We support Zach. We're not blaming Zach for this loss against the Patriots. And I thought that was really, really, really uh, big of Quinn and Williams to do that when Zach himself didn't kind of take ownership like that. And I'll add Quinn this. Quinn did what Zach didn't. Exactly. Is, no, 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 we should have we, put a zero on the board. We ride with our quarterback. Like, yeah, he. But he, you don't have to. If, he, ownership, if someone's right? not good, bench him. Get him off. If I stink on this show, get me out of here. It's a professional you know what I mean? It's about being team. good enough. It's a professional football team. Yeah. I mean, these are men that are, they're modern day gladiators that are putting their bodies on the line, literally. They make millions of dollars for it, but come on. Like, this is big business. And I think Robert Sala handled that with complete class. I love what he said, how he said it, how he presented it. I think he's a really, really savvy, smart coach. And it, I mean, it's New York. It's the New York media. And Zach Wilson knows it best. They can get under your skin. Connor Hughes is a, is a really, really good reporter, but he gets under the skin of a lot of New York players because he's not afraid to ask really tough questions and the needle guys. For better or for worse. It was a fair question. Zach Wilson didn't want to answer was, the question. It was a fair question. Because he's bugged by Connor Hughes. And he's been bugged by Connor Hughes over the past year and a half. He should be more bugged by his play than Connor Hughes. Understandably. Like, but this is, he's young, right? He's 23 years old. He's immature still. And he's learning how to handle emotions that he's probably never dealt with before. This has nothing to do with Zach coming from money. No. This is just, Zach has kind of had his way. With everything, I'm not going to make it about finances, but now he's having to learn a hard lesson and something that he's never dealt with before, which is you're not the guy. You're not the guy. And that's a tough lesson to take when you've always had it your way. Uh, it's a big freaking deal that he's inactive. I'm sorry. I just feel very different about this. Okay, like, can you imagine another team, their starter doesn't even dress for that game? This is a big deal. They're sending him a message of like, Dude, you're not with us. You need to get with they us. They want him to completely detach and, and go do his thing and get right. Which tells me a lot about how bad it is. Maybe he's him. going to his quarterback's coach, John Beck. Perhaps. To do something. Maybe we'll check with John and see what's going on there. The other thing is this. I think a lot of this has to do with how he's handled this. I wonder, and perhaps he still would have been benched regardless, if he had handled the postgame better and said, no, this is on me, I've got to play better, da-da-da, that maybe he's at least the backup. Like, I, I think because of how poorly that was handled, that they have reacted to that reaction. And that says a lot. Zach has got to learn some hard lessons here. And he's still going to play in the NFL. It's not like he's – like the, some people are going to be like, oh, he's done. He's, he's not done. He's done this week. Um, we'll see the next couple weeks. And here's why they're not going to fight through this like, say, they did last year at, at times. 
It's because they could make the playoffs if they have better quarterback play. Um, they win that game if they're just like a little better. If they're just bad on offense, not horrendous, they win that game. And they are seven and three instead of six and four. Like their defense is really good. They got some nice young pieces. The run game's been effective. Granted, Brees Hall's out, that's tough. But because they're on the fringe of like actually making the playoffs this year and they drafted well, that's why there's an issue. If they were three and six, they'd probably fight through this with Zach and okay, we give you this whole year and then we'll see next year. But at this point, they blow it up a little bit because they've been good in spite of Zach's poor play at quarterback. Granted, he's had some nice moments like you highlighted and we've talked about this week, but this is a tough situation for Zach. He certainly needs to learn that sometimes, even if you don't mean it, you got to say the right thing and that affects perception and ultimately action around how the team perceives you and how people perceive you. And in New York, it's, a, it's different. Like, what, the highs are real high in New York, but the lows are real low. And right now, this is the lowest point in probably Zach Wilson's career and maybe life. The inactive decision, if I'm in Zach's situation as it pertains to that, I am calling John Beck and saying, I will meet you wherever in Southern California somewhere. Let's reestablish my basic fundamentals that Robert Sala talked about. Go back to your roots. Go back to the guy, again, that will put you in position that Coach Sala said, made us fall in love with everything that he did. You know, I hate to hear Dan Orlovsky say, the best moment of Zach Wilson's career is still his pro day throw. I don't agree with that. I think it's the most viral moment. Zach's had some really nice plays, including that long touchdown run down the sideline late last season. And you hear Jets fans say, maybe this kid is the guy. And like, oh, look at that throw to Corey Davis as he's rolling out to his right and he's waving him to the end zone and he throws a dart, you know, 55 yards yep. rolling to his right for a touchdown. Like, he's had some moments in the NFL where we've seen, like, the, yeah. the lights go on. Like, oh, yeah. oh, okay. For sure. We've also seen the lights go off. Exactly. Which has been Com hard to watch. Confidence. Like, Zach's a confident kid, clearly, and he's a competitor, but – to Coach Sala's point, he, he's just kind of lost some fundamentals and he's doing some unorthodox things and he's sailing throws and he's rushed. And it's okay to, to recognize, like, I'm not good right now and I'm going to go somewhere where I can try and rediscover that. There's nothing wrong with this, but he's having a hard time admitting it. And that's what's causing him the most problems is he, he doesn't want to wait. He wants to try and prove it now. And, and I agree with Coach Sala and everybody in the New York media where it's like, take a step back and try and figure it out. It's okay. There's no shame in saying, I'm not good right now, and I'm going to do what I can to fix it. For the Jets, it's not about Zach getting it fixed. It's about them finding someone who will help them win. They just care about winning because they're a, <laughs> they're a surprisingly good team in spite of Zach's poor play, right? And at times, Zach's been really good. He helped him beat the Steelers. He helped, he's helped him in a lot of uh, moments this year. But clearly, it's not been great. And the reaction to not being great was worse than his game on Sunday. And so that's why there's this blow-up. If the Jets stunk, this wouldn't be a big deal. It wouldn't. But they're pretty good. And they're playoff-y this year, which is ahead of expectation yes. in the timeline, right? And um, who, who knows what the rest of the season holds for Zach Wilson. But right now, it's certainly... Shocking to me. To me, I'm shocked that he's not even going to be active in the game. That is quite the move. If it's multiple weeks, then I'll join you and read into that heavily. But if it's like a week, 
and now he's back. They haven't set, they haven't played the mental health angle here. So that's, that's what, if they did, it'd be understandable, but it's performance-based to just go, see ya. For sure, like, yeah. Whoa! I, I, I'm telling you, I think it's because he's going to leave New York and he's going to fly somewhere and he's going to meet with the quarterback's coach, thus you're inactive for the game. Like, you're somewhere else in the country. And we're not just going to let you hold the spot. We're going to, like, elevate somebody else to the 53-man roster while you're gone. Like, that, that's what I you're believe You're not just happening. number two. You're number three now. Like, it's just, wow. Wow. You know? It's a precipitous fall. Hopefully it's a precipitous you, rise later. You got to do something to try and win your teammates' trust in the locker room. Do back. you do that by leaving? That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.